Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed me white as snow. Would you be on your feet as we once again dedicate ourselves unto God? Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed His white as snow. Father, we want to thank You for the cleansing blood of Jesus. We are grateful, O oh God, for the dedication that happened this day. Father, the devil is shamefaced. Lord, because of the boldness of your children to step forward. Lord, they said no to the works of the wicked one. Your word says that the righteous are bold as a lion. Father, we thank you for what has happened. Lord, we pray that you will receive all honor and glory. That this boy would from this day do mighty things for you in Jesus' name. That the spirit of David would come upon him in Jesus' name. That the Goliaths who challenged him. They would lose their head in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, for 10 years, for 10 years, and now there is a turnaround. Amen. Thank you, blessed God. But Jesus paid it all, and we believe, and we stand upon that foundation. For there is no unsettled claim, no unsettled claim. Absolutely none, for the handwriting on the wall has been destroyed. Forever nailed to the cross. Blessed be your name, O oh Father. Now as we continue in your word, continue with us. Father, give us clarity of thought this morning. As we look into your precious word. For it is unlike any other book. God, it is living. And it is active. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can divide between thought and intent, as between bone and marrow. Go ahead and do your work in our lives, O oh Father, for we submit ourselves into your hands. Let the Holy Spirit take complete control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have your seats. I invite you to turn your Bible to the epistle of Peter. The first epistle of Peter. We come back to our study in First Peter. Um, we'd look uh, beginning from verse 1 even unto 12 just as a matter of recapping our understanding of this great epistle 1st Peter chapter 1 and please follow along as I read from the New King James Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, 
you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Let's bow our hearts once again. Father, we thank you for these words. Now, O oh Lord God, help us in our understanding as we study these verses together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our, the focus of our study today would be verse 10 through 12. And the reason that I read the, the opening 12 verses is that we could get a flavor of what is happening over here. Peter is writing to a group of people who are under a lot of duress and a lot of stress. They are being troubled. Because of persecution. Now the question comes, as we read verse 10 through 12, what is precious to you? In fact, if you were to pull out a paper and write 10 things that you would consider precious, invaluable, and if, if you were to run out of, out of your house, what were the ten things you would grab? Now let's just bring that down to five. How about three? How about one thing that's really precious? Now that's the focus, that's the logic of Peter in the first twelve verses. That's the logic because he is writing to a group of people and some of us sitting over here might be going through something much heavier. A lost father, a lost husband, a lost child, an abortion, a broken marriage. You might be going through something that's real deep and what do you consider precious? that are what is most important unto you and that's the focus of Peter he, he wants the people to look away from their situation to look away from their persecution Nero was burning people left right and center if he knew that the, these disciples these exiled ones were Christians they would lose their heads. So unto them comes this, this word of encouragement. If you were to write a letter to encourage someone, what would be on the top of your list? How would you encourage? We just prayed for our brother and our sister who lost a dear one. What is the substance of that prayer? What would be the crux? What would be that which gives them hope? When you write to a Christian, you email, Peter couldn't do that, but we could. If you email someone, what would be that one thing that you would invite their attention to? Now this is what we find over here. And if, if you would understand First Peter, the first 12 verses is a compendium of things that 
that are so deep in the Christian studies. You, you would have, if you, if you were to list out the terms, he, he uses terms like elect, foreknowledge, sanctification, obedience, sprinkling of the blood. But there's one term that he uses deliberately in 10 to 12, and that's the word salvation. Therefore, the one thing that he wants the people of these dispersed regions to focus on is salvation. Salvation. He wants them to understand the depth of that which has been given. Therefore, in the remainder of the time today, we'll be looking at the preciousness of our salvation. The preciousness of our salvation. And that's First Peter 1, 10 through 12. And I read it again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Number one, the preciousness of our salvation is because it was prophesied long ago. I mean, really? You mean salvation is not something that is New Testament? Salvation has been proclaimed by the prophets. It has been from time past. You remember the story when the two disciples were walking on the road of Emmaus? And then Jesus draws near. And then they were walking morose and disheartened. And Jesus asked them, Why? Why the long face? And they tell their story. And Jesus tells them that beginning with the prophets, He explained unto them that Jesus had to, that the Messiah had to go through the sufferings. He calls them, oh, you slow of heart and late to understand. Did you not know that the Messiah had to go through this? And then beginning with the prophets. That includes all the prophets. Beginning with Moses even until John the Baptist, not Malachi. John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. You know that because when... Jesus was performing the miracles. He was in prison. He sent someone and he said, Are you the Messiah that we need to look for? He was still Old Testament. So beginning with Moses, even unto John the Baptist, the people were looking for salvation. And an immediate reference that comes to mind is Isaiah. Isaiah is the one who declared that there is salvation to come through a Messiah. He, he talked about it in the nature of a suffering servant. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch who was riding on the chariot. And, and the Spirit of God spoke to Philip and said. Go and stand in the road that leads to Gaza. And then you shall be told what to do. And this man was reading the book of Isaiah. And he, he was pondering. He was thinking. Is this written about the writer or about someone else? And beginning from that scripture. Incidentally, if you and I were given only the Old Testament, would we be able to preach salvation? Because we know that we need to use the Roman road to lead someone to Christ. But the apostles had only the Old Testament. So uh, a great verifying factor of our understanding of the Bible would be that if we were given only the Old Testament, could we preach Christ from the Old Testament? I, uh, Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was that written of David or of someone else? Psalm 2, which says that, and then I will bring the nations under your feet. Was that written about David? Or of the Messiah who would reign and rule. 
So a great verifying factor of our Bible, our Bible is unlike any other book. A great verifying factor of our own Bible is that there is an Old Testament prophecy which is fulfilled in the New Testament. Of course, you've heard that the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And the New Testament is in the Old concealed. Therefore, one of our profitable studies would be to find out how the Old Testament prophecies bear fruit in Christ in the New Testament. I recommend it to you. Whenever you come across a New Testament uh, fulfillment and an Old Testament prophecy in the Old Testament, just make a small marking over there so that you would know that your Bible, your own personal copy of the Bible, links between 4,000 years of prophecy. And it would be a, a very profitable study unto you. And you could preach the gospel beginning from the Old Testament. So one of the reasons why our, our salvation is so precious is because it was prophesied by the, the prophets long ago. Number two, it was searched by the prophets diligently. Did you know that the prophets, they were hunting for this, the fulfillment. It was revealed to them. It was, Isaiah wrote this. For example, the Spirit of God spoke to Isaiah and said that this is what this suffering servant would do. And then they went on their knees and they asked Jehovah, Lord, who is this? Let's read that passage once again, 1 Peter 10, 1 to 10 to 12. Uh, 1, 10 to 12, it says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully searched and inquired carefully. Do you and I search and inquire carefully? Another application of our study this morning is that we are invited by the Spirit of Christ to inquire carefully. The people would look intently at the gospel, look intently at the prophecy, and then they would they would try to understand through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, what is this? Even now, there are scholars who want to study about the end times. They want to know, is this the time? There are many people who have also given the dates. So this is the time that it is going to end. But that's not the objective of our study. The objective is to find out, what does God want me to do? In the light of this revelation. So that's why our salvation is precious. And, and remember who Peter is writing this to. Never lose focus of who Peter is writing this to. He's inviting the people to, to look at the salvation. He's saying that you boys, you are being troubled. But listen to this. This is the salvation that you hold. The salvation that I hold is something that the prophets were hunting to find out. It was something that they were really interested in. Matthew 13, 16 to 17. Let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes. For they see and your ears they hear. This is also in, in Luke chapter 10. Where Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. They go out. They come back with great testimonies. And Jesus says, blessed is your eyes. For they see and your ears that they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. This is precious. This is absolutely precious. What you and I hold. I mean this morning before you walk out of this room. I want you to have a, a greater respect for the salvation that you and I hold. I mean we sometimes take it so glibly. 
Salvation has become a kind of ticket to the show which would happen eventually in heaven. It's got we, we, we read Hebrews chapter 5 and we misquoted wherein it says that now stop laying the foundations of repentance, of baptism. Let's move on to greater things. There is no moving on. The gospel, our salvation is the foundation and it is also the perimeter wall. We don't outgrow the gospel. We don't move away from the gospel. So this is precious. The prophet diligently searched for it. Jesus said that many wanted to see it. The preciousness, the gravity of this is that you have received it. Isaiah 35 talks about rivers in the desert. The blind seeing, the lame walking. Now this is exactly what Jesus quoted when the disciples of John the Baptist came unto him. Are you the Messiah? Do we wait for another? Jesus quoted Isaiah extensively. And if you look at the book of 1 Peter, Peter quotes from the book of Isaiah extensively. He loved Isaiah. He took after his master. And Isaiah 35 talks about the eyes of the blind being opened, the lame walking, and rivers in the desert, and Jesus said, go and tell John what you have seen. And over here is one of the most precious revelations that you and I have been given. Now the question is, did those, were those prophets saved? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 and 40. Those prophets who prophesied of the salvation that was yet to come were they saved? One of those questions you get from an agnost unto whom you are sharing the gospel he wants to take you on a rabbit trail he'll throw this at you and say so what about those Old Testament prophets? Here it is. And all these talks about the hall of faith. All those who have gone ahead of us, all those who righteously believed that God would save, they, having obtained a good testimony, how? Through faith. That means that all the Old Testament prophets, they, even though they went to the temple on the day of atonement and they sacrificed the lamb, they believed in the coming of a greater Savior. I want you to understand this and not miss the point. Because we are going to read that verse again. Through faith. Because the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. God has not changed. It was not that in the Old Testament God wanted the blood of bulls and goats. And the people who believed in the blood of bulls and goats would be saved through that. And in the New Testament people who believed in Jesus should be saved through that. That means that there is a change in the dispensation that has not happened. What God did was that he revealed unto the people that there will come a greater sacrifice. And I am going to save you if you believe in that greater sacrifice. And now what you need to do is that you need to have faith in me that I will take away your sins. That when Jesus dies on the cross, let's say 2,000 years from now... He was talking to Abraham or to Moses. When Jesus would be put up on the cross, Moses was talking about this in Numbers chapter 21 verse 9 saying that, and then you shall lift up a serpent, a bronze serpent. Now God was telling Moses, don't miss this, God was telling Moses that when you lift up the serpent, I am going to lift up a greater sacrifice who will die for your sins even though it is going to happen in future. You see, the, the cross is the centrality of history. So history is his story. So when Isaiah wrote about this, 700 years before the birth of Christ, he believed that his own sins, as he saw himself in Isaiah chapter 6, he was a prophet for the first five chapters, wasn't he? 
And in six, he saw the glory of the Lord and he said, woe is me. He knew that he was sinful and he was one of those prophets. And then he believes that the suffering servant about which he is about to write, he will die in a future time. And he believes, Lord, I know you will provide. That is faith. And God says, the just shall live by faith. And that's the preciousness of our salvation. Because Christ died for our sins and for the sins of all those people who went ahead of us. And they would be saved if they had believed, not in the sacrificial system, but in the ultimate sacrifice that God himself would provide. And that's what Hebrews 11 says, that and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. What's the promise? The promise of seeing who or what time. Come back to First Peter chapter 10, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 10. Verse 12 says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things having now been announced to you. So what's precious over here is that they saw that something was coming, but they wanted, they searched diligently to know who is this or what time would it come. And unto us who live on this side of the cross, we are greater privileged. Because they knew of a, of a Savior who would come. That's why later on in First Peter we find that and when Jesus died, he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. He showed himself to the spirits who were yet in prison, the righteous dead. And Ephesians says that and then when he ascended, he took captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. See the logic with which Peter is building this. And the preciousness of our salvation. Let's finish that. Verse 40. God having provided something better for us. Hebrews 11 verse 40. God having provided something better for us. That they should not be made perfect apart from us. That means that they had the revelation but we have the person. And it was, it was through the same Holy Spirit who revealed the coming Messiah unto the prophets. Now in our salvation, when we first believed, we have put our faith upon a person whom we have not seen but only heard. So that's the preciousness of our salvation, that it is, number one, declared from ages past. Number two, it was searched by the prophets diligently. Number three, it is by grace. I mean, it gives me a great satisfaction that it does not depend on me. I don't know if you are satisfied by that. Because daily I meet people who are doing one thing or the other to obtain favor with God. Because I met a person who works with me and he walked 170 kilometers to visit a deity. Because I speak to a person who says that there is, there is an angel on this shoulder and an angel on this shoulder. This shoulder writes the good things and this shoulder writes the evil things. And then if at the end of his life, if the one, on, one who is writing the good things, he wins the battle, then he gets into heaven. I mean, look at the twistedness of mind that if... This angel was to write something good, and this angel was to write something evil. For every evil that I would do, I would do two good things. You see the logic? This is the logic of, of man. If I want my good to outweigh the bad, every time I slap a brother on the face, I will feed two poor people. You see the logic? Therefore, at the end... 
I would have a 150% good over a 100% evil. It doesn't work that way. I am glad that salvation is through grace. Have you looked at that word grace closely? Because we read that word grace every time in our Bible and we just read it at grace. I commend to you that from now on when you see the word grace, would you substitute it by undeserved favor? Peter uses it ten times in his first epistle. For by undeserved favor have you been saved. How's that for a change? Instead of reading it as grace. Because the word grace has been trampled underfoot. We, we forget grace. We even frustrate grace. Let's begin looking at that word as it really is. Grace is undeserved. You and I don't deserve it. If God were to send us to hell, he would be justified. That's grace. And the preciousness of our salvation is that we have laid hold of it. You and I have taken hold of it. Because God took hold of us. Because of that grace that comes. And that's what Peter says over here. Coming back to 1 Peter 1, 10 and 12. The prophets who prophesied about the grace. About the undeserved favor. About the unmerited mercy that was to be yours. We can never lay a claim upon grace. Never. Would you read Ephesians chapter 2? Not right now. It's a homework. And would you identify yourself in verse 1 to 4? Would you write there with a pencil, my testimony? If you don't feel like writing your name, write Brother Sudhir's testimony. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 5 is the turning point. English teachers, we have a teacher over here, says that you should not start a sentence with but. But Ephesians 2 verse 5, I love it because it starts with but. It says, but God. Who is abundant in his mercy. You see that? We, we quickly say Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by undeserved mercy I have been saved through faith. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But even much before that, Paul writing to the Ephesians wants to show them where does this come from? This comes from this comes to a group of people who were not even a people. First Peter chapter two talks about you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The original translation says that and you who were once not even a people. That means you and I were not even humans. We were lost, but God. That's the preciousness of our salvation. And God says, in, when he revealed this to the prophet, in Jeremiah 31, when the prophet, when God revealed it unto them, unto Jeremiah, it said that, and then there will come a time when I will write the law upon the heart. It's not on stones, it's upon the heart. Jeremiah might have put down his pen and wondered, God, would you do that to me? 
Because I am done keeping the law. I can't. Would you give me the grace and write the law upon my own heart? That grace I need. That you would change my heart. Like in Ezekiel, I would remove your heart of stone. Why? Because this stony heart is the one who says that one good, one evil. Or one evil, two goods. We need to understand from where God has lifted us. Number four, it is precious because it involves the suffering of the Messiah. The suffering of the Messiah. Now imagine uh, the people are receiving the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord comes unto the prophet and it says that, and then there will come a liberator who will suffer. They would have said, Lord, what's going on? What, what's happening? I don't understand. You mean a liberator will suffer? That's the preciousness of our salvation because it involves the death of an innocent Lamb of God. That's our salvation. Let's read our key verses again. And it says that, and they, verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That means that both were involved. There is a suffering and there is a glory. Now, when this message comes unto the, unto the prophets, they receive this information. And they are looking for who is going to suffer. And then when is this glory going to happen? It was as if you were looking at a, a range of mountains. And that has got two peaks. And they look joined together. They look adjoining. And one peak was the suffering and the other peak was the glory. And you think that this is going to happen together. But you find that as you climb one mountain, as you climb the mountain of Calvary, you find that there is a valley there of now more than 2,000 years. And then the glory would come, as in Revelation 22. And then I saw a city come down from heaven. So it's not the same thing. It is separated by a gap. But what it involves right now is the suffering of Messiah. And that's why it's precious. When someone read Psalm 22, they were wondering who, who was pierced, pierced in their hands. Was it David? No, but David was our king. Who would pierce him in his hands and feet? Did David, was David's clothes divided? Were there dogs all around him? Dogs as in wicked men. Who were crying out for his blood. And then when they read Isaiah 53, they were wondering, who is this about? And then when they read Psalm 2, they were wondering, who is this king that he shall rule with a rod of iron and all the nations shall be as pottery before him? Ask unto me and I shall give you the nations for an inheritance. That's the son asking the father for the nations. And then when they read Psalm 16, which says that, and then I will rule. Who is this ruler? The sufferings and the glory. Our salvation is important, is, is precious. Whatever we are going through is not to be compared. When we fix our eyes upon the salvation, the great gift that has been granted unto us. And Luke 24, 25 said, Then he said unto them, This is Jesus talking to the disciples at the road of Emmaus. Jesus was talking and he said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered his glory? The resurrection happened 
and there was this glory which had partially been revealed. And we are proclaiming this glory. The glory will be fully revealed when Christ rules. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Salvation has been procured through suffering. It was not free. It involved the death of the innocent. Number five, it is precious because the Holy Spirit is involved in this. It was the Holy Spirit who revealed the Christ, the Spirit of Christ. That is the word that Peter uses. The Spirit of Christ. We find that in Revelation 19 as well. That the prophecy, the Spirit of Christ is the, is the Spirit of prophecy. It was the Spirit of Christ who was revealing these things unto the prophet. And it is the same Holy Spirit who is speaking through the apostles. And now it's the same Holy Spirit who uses human machines or, or mechanisms or human influences to come into your life and preach to you the preciousness of this salvation. It is the work of of the Holy Spirit. Number six. It is precious because. The last part of verse 12. And I love this. Even angels. Love to look into it. I mean. How precious can this be. That even angels. Love to look into it. Psalm 8 says that we have been created. A little lower than the angels. Therefore. The angels should know everything. They should have enjoyed everything. But in this portion, it says that even angels, they love to look into your salvation and mine. Did you ever imagine that the angel could be looking over the, the galleries of heaven as it were? The moment someone shared the gospel to you and to me, it was the moment when they called the angel bands and said, Look, look, the gospel is being shared. Let's wait and see if salvation would happen over here. Let's wait and see if this person would receive Jesus Christ. Would you, would you wait and see? And the person receives. And there is a jubilation that goes on. Because in Luke chapter 15, Jesus himself says, And then the angels rejoice over one sinner who is saved. This is precious. What you and I hold, what you and I have, do not despise it. And do not treat us lightly. There are many unto whom the gospel, clarion call of the gospel has come and they have rejected it. But you and I have been elected, foreordained, predestined unto salvation to receive this message. To receive it into our hearts that even angels would give a standing ovation to Jesus. And we find the preciousness of this when we look into the book of Revelation chapter 5. Wherein there is a voice, there is, an, there is a scroll that has to be opened. And there is no one worthy to open the scroll. Actually the scroll contains the destiny of mankind. Because after the opening of the seven seals we find all the plagues, all the bowels, everything, all the trumpets are happening after the opening. So that scroll is important in history. That scroll contains the destiny of mankind. And no one was found worthy to open it. You remember? And then John begins weeping and says, who will open this? Who will decide the destiny of mankind? And then he hears a voice behind him and says, behold, the lamb has, the lion of the tribe of Judah has become victorious. And John was now expecting a lion, a gracious, a huge lion to walk up. And then he turns around and he sees on the throne a lamb as it was slain. I tell you, at that moment, the angel band, they stood up and they cried out, Worthy is the Lamb. I mean, is this precious or not? Does this, does this increase the joy in you? I don't know what you're going through, brethren. You might be going through something that's very, very deep. 
that words will not be able to, to convey the depth of the pain that you have. But I want to invite you to look at this salvation. Look at this salvation with what God has blessed you with. With God, what God has opened unto you. What God has given unto you and I, free of cost. That when we read these scriptures, we understand the preciousness, the beauty, the wonders, the marvel of that one thing that has happened. And that's a turnaround. And I want to speak to them who are who do not have this joy, who do not have this preciousness in their lives, who do not have salvation. I want to speak to you for a moment. What are you saved from? Or I want, I want you to ask that question, do I need the salvation that Peter is talking about? Not, not do I feel like I need the salvation. Like you might feel that you don't need to take an insurance for your car. This is too much of an expense. But is it necessary? Does it protect you? I'm not asking you, do you feel like being saved this afternoon? I'm asking you, do you need to be saved? If you were traveling today and there God forbid something were to happen would you be insured to get into heaven so what are you saved from you're saved number one you're saved from judgment because Acts chapter 17 Paul was talking and he was giving this marvelous preaching and he said that and God has appointed a man called Jesus through whom he is going to judge the world. Number two, you need to be saved from God's wrath. Because the psalmist says that the God is angry with the wicked every day. Ezekiel 36 says that, and the soul that sins shall die. Number three, what do you need to be saved from? You need to be saved from eternal Alienation from God. I mean that you would spend eternity. You would spend eternity. It depends on where. The soul is immortal. The soul... God says in the book of Revelation, and then those who died without Christ will rise. The sea will give up their dead. The earth will give up their dead. You remember reading that? And all these would come before the white throne judgment. And God would banish them to the place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Do you need to be saved? And what do you, what, what are you saved for? You are saved for eternal joy. I mean, whatever gives you pleasure. If you are involved in something that gives you joy, let me tell you that joy is temporal. That joy will soon fade because we have a, a taste for something new. We, we have this desire for something new. That's why we run behind everything that says new and improved. If it's new, it cannot be improved. If it's improved, it's not new. So if someone tells you it's new and improved, it's false right from the beginning. But our taste for something new has been ingrained by the Garden of Eden wherein you can eat from all the trees, and I'm sure they went about eating from all trees, but you shall not eat from this tree. That tree is new. And the devil comes and says that, hey, have you tasted this? He says, no, that's new to me, so let me just go and taste something new. But that 
taste would fade. Psalm 16 verse 11 says that at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So you are saved to be at the right hand of God, enjoying your pleasure forevermore. I don't know what gives you pleasure today, but I hope it is the gospel. I trust the gospel righteousness is in you that gives you such joy that you would endure your suffering. You would endure the pain. You would endure the shame. You would endure the ridicule. That at the end of the day, you would say that I have been seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Let's bow our hearts and pray. Beloved, I heard a story about a young man who was far away from a landmine explosion, but a shrapnel went into his eye. A tiny piece, and the surgeons, they fixed his eye, but his tear duct was damaged. His eye would not lubricate. He had to artificially lubricate his eyes every 15 seconds. He had to apply ointment on his eyelids before he goes to sleep or else the eyelids would stick to his eyeballs because they become dry. Do you think the man loved his eye? Have you considered the preciousness of that lubrication in the mind of that young man? Would he not protect and preserve his eyes for the rest of his life? I want to invite those who have not had this preciousness of salvation. If you do not have an assurance of salvation, if you do not have the joy of being with the Lord, if the Lord were to terminate your days on earth now, want you to indicate by rising up in faith to your feet. Would you just stand up on your legs? Because no man can save you. No mechanism can save you. Your good acts versus your bad acts cannot save you. Your desires will terminate one day. It is appointed unto man to die. And then comes the judgment. But Christ also died once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That we may have life in Him. If you are here and you want Jesus. You want Jesus. Would you be on your feet? And I would pray with you. And I would pray with you. Precious Father, we thank you, Lord God, for these precious ones who've identified that they need the joy of your salvation in their lives. God, even as David cried out in Psalm 51, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thine salvation, because the taste of salvation had gone away from his own lips. And he wanted this joy back. And he cried out and said, Lord, for one thing, give me back that joy. I pray for these brethren who have identified themselves that they lost the joy. Now, in your power, return it unto them in Jesus' name. Return it back unto them, O God, that their hearts would burst at their seams. Because of the joy that you are right now filling in them, O oh God. Let it bubble up within them. God, the river of life, your word says, that it shall flow and everything that touches the river shall come alive. Right now, let their hearts come alive in you in Jesus' name. Let their hearts become alive in your hands, my Lord, that they would begin to enjoy this joy in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father. Thank you for those who identified. Precious is your salvation unto them, O God. We bless you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you sit down for the congregation? Let's pray. Let's pray. Would you recognize yourself? If you see yourself as a matter of application, a careful search of scriptures as unearthed in your own heart, that which is missing, would you go to God in prayer and say, Father, that salvation joy would be mine from now in Jesus' name. I would be delighting in my salvation from today. I regard it as precious. Lord, I will guard it with all diligence 
Father, whatever practice that I have been involved in that removes this joy from me, Father, from now on, I detest thus practices in Jesus' name. And I come, I come to you, O Lord God, Father, that you may refresh me again in the name of Jesus. Lord, beginning this day, beginning this day, pour forth your waters upon me in Jesus' name. Pour forth, O Lord, the rivers of living water upon me in Jesus' name. Let seasons of refreshing come upon me in the mighty name of Jesus. Only you can provide eternal hope for me, O God. There is salvation in no other name under heaven which has been given unto men other than the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to look into your word and to learn from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we all stand to our feet, please? The Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Today God has spoken. God has spoken to correct some of us, to encourage some of us, as a means of reproof on some of us. Have we been attentive to his words? He has told us again, he has reminded us that salvation is there in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's not a new strange doctrine. The issue today really is this. Will you go back home and will you search the scriptures? Next week when you come, if Brother Sudhi was to come and preach the same message, would it sound like another new message? Or would you go back today and search the scriptures like the Berians did? You and I are a privileged people if we have tasted salvation. Do we know that? Do we appreciate that? How is your foundation and my foundation today? Is it shaky? Or do we know who we have built our foundation on? Have you taken the suffering of Christ lightly? Or what does that suffering of Christ mean in your life today? These are thoughts that you need to think about. These are not, this is not a message, this is not a teaching. That you have listened up to 1.30 today and you go back and forget about it. This is a message that needs to keep working in you. And God is telling us. Are you letting God hold you? Or are you holding God at arm's length? Cry to God and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. To discipline you. To correct you. To encourage you. To give you hope. Father God, we thank you, Lord, because you have spoken. You have spoken to each one of us, Lord. To some for correction, to some for reproof, to some for encouragement, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, because we know that in your love for us, you continue to teach us, Lord. Father God, we are grateful. And Father God, let us not at any point of time take lightly what you have done for us, Lord. Yes, Father God, that grace, that unremitted favor, Lord. Father God, help us to understand what it truly means to us, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for the servant you used this day, Lord Father. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to reveal further truths to him, Lord. That your anointing will be upon him in multiple portions, Lord. That even as he comes and continues to teach us in days to come, you will use him to train us, to build us up, to encourage us, to be that kind of a perfect man that you are looking for, Lord. We give all glory to you, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you for everyone who is here, Lord. And even as we move on, we pray, Lord, that you will continue to minister unto us, Lord. And continue to lead us, build us up during the rest of the week, Lord. We give all glory to you. We thank you. We praise you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, 
be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.